Well, I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning. I'm glad you're here this morning to worship. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I uh, am excited in particular to see some Christmas trees still up. Uh, I think that's good to kind of leave Christmas put up for a little bit. That was the question at my house yesterday was, when do we put away Christmas? You have that question too? Does that come up in your house? Uh, one of my family members said, as soon as you leave, <laughs> we're putting it away. <laughs> okay. That's about, but, but what about you? Does anybody still have Christmas up at your house? Anybody, has anybody put it away? Is it, is, okay, some people have. <laughs> you said, I'm done with it. Okay, Christmas is over. Let's move on. How about New Year's? Is anybody going to wait till New Year's to put Christmas away? That was always a thing in our family growing up. Yeah. My wife yesterday said she thinks that we should wait till Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just leave the tree up, put some hearts on it, you know, make the lights turn red. We've got these new LED lights now. And so, I, I said, I yeah, that sounds great to me. Uh, I, I don't really mind it because I'm not quite ready for all the trips up to the attic. <laughs> it just seems a little too soon for that. But at some point, we have to put away Christmas. We've got to pack it up. We're going to put everything back in order, and we're going to kind of move on with our lives. But I wonder, have you ever thought about what Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus went through when it was time for the stable to be put back in order when it was time for the nativity, so to speak, to be put away and for them to move on with their lives. Well, our Advent calendars and our Christmas worship gatherings sort of make a hard stop when the birth of Jesus happens. And they sort of, we just kind of move on. But as we'll see today, ending our series in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us a very important part of the Christmas story, which happened after the, the nativity was packed up. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you will. Mary and Joseph knew that God had a special plan for Jesus. And so after they left the nativity scene, the manger scene, the stable there in Bethlehem, they were doing their very best to raise Jesus according to God's law and to Jewish tradition. So by eight days old, Mary and Joseph and Jesus would have made the just over five-mile trek from Bethlehem, the manger, all the way to Jerusalem, to the temple. They would have been there to dedicate Jesus to God. And they would have stayed another five or six weeks or so, somewhere around then, for some more kind of ritual cleansing for Mary and Joseph even. And so they would have been hovering around Jerusalem, in and out of the temple, living those first days of Jesus' life. But can you imagine how difficult that would be? Can you imagine how lonely it would be having your first baby and having none of the comforts of home, having the adrenaline of the angelic visits sort of fading into the background, and a view of the visitors for Jesus were coming fewer and farther between. Can you imagine how difficult and how lonely that would have been? But Luke tells us between this eight day and eight weeks or so period when Jesus was born, he tells us a story of two people, obscure but very important to God's story, who meet the baby Jesus there in Jerusalem at the temple. He introduces Mary and Joseph to these people, 
and he introduces them to us. And so for Mary and Joseph, this encounter was yet another and even deeper way for God to affirm to them that he was fulfilling his promise to his people through their son, Jesus. But when Luke introduces us to these two people, we see what it looks like to live with hopeful endurance as we await for God to fulfill his promise to us. You see, his promise to us is that Jesus, who came the first time, which is the the first part of the Advent worship and celebration, that we remember that Jesus came as a baby to be the rescuer of all the world, to bear the sin of the world. He came to die. We also remember in Advent that God is sending Jesus back. He's coming again. And so we await with anticipation the second coming of Jesus. And we see in this temple scenario what it looks like to be a people who live with hopeful endurance as we wait for God to accomplish his will and purpose. And so as we say good riddance to 2020, which is even this morning, we're celebrating the end of 2020. You have to remember that when the clock strikes midnight on Thursday night, signaling the beginning of a new year, that that has no power to make our problems go away. Nothing. So as followers of Jesus, we have to live with a hopeful endurance. A kind of endurance and hope that comes to us in light of the fact that God has made a promise to us that's bigger and better and more permanent than any problems we could face here on earth. Jesus is coming again. And we live in light of that. So I want to read to you this story. And I want you, as your Bibles are open, to Luke chapter 2, to look at verses 25 through 38. And if you're still turning there or opening a device there, or if you're online this morning and you're grabbing for your Bible, I want to just say a special welcome to you guys who are worshiping online. And then in particular, a special welcome to my friends at the Marshall campus where I pastor Uh, who have been worshiping online since the pandemic started. And you haven't been on our campus. They've been, by the way, worshiping with you from this campus as we broadcast this campus's worship online. And so I've been missing that worship interaction with them. So I'm thankful now for my friends at the Marshall campus who are worshiping online to be able to be with you this morning in particular. Let's read this morning from Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 38. Follow along in your Bibles with me. Says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when the parents, Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, and he praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You've prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. 
Jesus' father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, while the angels were speaking to Mary and Joseph and while shepherds in their fields at night were being amazed by choirs and uh, hosts of angels who were bursting from heaven onto earth to make them aware of the Savior, God was whispering to these two obscure people, Simeon and Anna. And he was saying, don't give up. Keep watch. Don't lose hope. The Savior's coming. Hope is alive. Now, we don't know. We don't know if Simeon and Anna knew each other. Maybe they were just familiar faces at the temple. They in and out kind of saw each other in passing. Maybe they were friends. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But all indications are that both of them had lived a very long life by the time they met Jesus. And I want to just kind of go there to what their life was like because if any generation was in danger of losing hope that God was going to make good on his promise to rescue his people, it probably would have been the generation right before the birth of Jesus. I kind of imagine being 400 years since the last prophecy about the Messiah, that would have been difficult enduring what they were enduring in their world to keep hope alive. Now I imagine... Simeon and Anna, as young people, eavesdropping on their parents and grandparents around the dinner table or in the living room areas as they discussed the ongoing Israeli conflict with Syria. They continued, even though they had maybe a few bright spots in those 400 years, they continued to be barraged by war and people attacking them. And I wonder if they heard their parents and grandparents saying, when will God come? Will he rescue us? Will he fulfill his promise? Simeon and Anna were likely young adults when they first heard news of the conquering Roman Empire. And when the Romans invaded Jerusalem in 63 B.C., I wonder what Simeon and Anna felt or thought. I wonder what went through their minds. How could this be moving us toward God's promise to rescue his people? How could this be part of God's plan? What did they feel when the first time they heard the, the hooves of the Roman war horses and they saw the ranks of Roman soldiers in armor with swords and spears at their sides and helmets of red plumes on their heads marching down the streets of Jerusalem. 
I wonder what Simeon would have thought. As a mature, committed Jewish man, when Judaism had to be legalized by the Roman government in Jerusalem, when the law of Rome all of a sudden was side by side with the law of God, and everything they understood about their government was conflated with secular influence. I wonder if they would have been tempted to lose hope. How could this be part of God's plan? Where is God in this? The world that Simeon and Anna knew was changing constantly, and it was changing drastically, yet we see this example of two people who lived with hopeful endurance because they trusted God to fulfill his promise. They trusted God. When Simeon met the baby Jesus, the same baby that Isaiah had prophesied would be named the Prince of Peace. I wonder if Simeon was holding him in his arms and thinking about Isaiah chapter 9, the Prince of Peace, when he said, now master, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace. Nothing about Israel's situation was peaceful. But Simeon found peace in the person of Jesus Christ. And that allowed him to live with this hopeful endurance. I wonder if any generation is at risk to lose hope that God will provide and fulfill his promise for the return of Jesus, I wonder if it's ours. Global pandemic, skyrocketing unemployment, disease, affliction, poverty, political tensions escalating like we haven't seen in our lifetime. And all the while, you can pile on difficulties that don't care that it's 2020. They could come at any time, like mental illness or divorce or death, heartache. And we're seeing pandemic aside the largest and fastest exodus from the church that America has ever seen. If any generation is at risk of losing hope in the coming and return of Jesus Christ, could it be ours? Would it be ours? Simeon and Anna ought to inspire us. See, we ought not to despair. The story of Simeon and Anna ought to revive us because enduring hope in Jesus doesn't follow the ebbs and flows or the crashes and burns of culture. Enduring hope in Jesus understands that our circumstances cannot override or interrupt God's eternal story. His story continues no matter what we face. Hopeful endurance remembers that all things are comfortably in God's hands, even when they feel like they are totally out of hand to us. 
All things are in God's hands. And God can be trusted to fulfill his promise. Even when it's not easy, peace is available to us through Jesus Christ. And so church, whatever the world can throw at us in 2021, if 2020 is just the trailer for 2021, it doesn't matter because we have peace in the person of Jesus Christ, a hopeful endurance that will allow us to trust in the story that God is writing. So we know the author. It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 4 of Jesus who was asleep in the boat when a storm surge came. And it threatened the lives of everybody on the boat. And the disciples did what? They woke him up because they had completely lost hope. And they woke up Jesus saying, we're going to die. What does Jesus do? He stands up in the middle of the storm and he rebukes the storm. And the storm stops. And the disciples were amazed. They were terrified. And then Jesus turned to them and he rebuked them for their lack of faith. You see, the disciples were in Jesus' boat. Jesus didn't expect the disciples to fix it. He just wanted them to endure anything that came with a hopeful endurance because he was in the boat with them. Church, we are in God's story. And we can endure anything with hope because God is in it with us through Jesus Christ. Simeon and Anna endured everything with hope because of God's promise to them, which is the same promise he's made to us that the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. They longed for God to fulfill this promise. And while most Jews longed and looked for a military leader uh, to defeat their enemies and to liberate them from oppression, we see in verse 25, if you're looking at your Bible in chapter 2, that Simeon was looking and longing for what? Israel's consolation. Israel's consolation. The hope for Israel's Savior was about more than government. It was about more than military. Jesus was God's promise for a spiritual comfort to his people. Jesus was the answer to the people's original problem of sin. And like a child who falls and scrapes his knees and his hands, the child doesn't run to the medicine cabinet for stitches or band-aids. The child runs to the parent who consoles him and who fixes it for them. Jesus was Israel's consolation, a Savior who would bring healing, for healing from all the sadness, healing from all the affliction, from all the despair that had brought upon them by the original enemy of sin, a Savior who, who would bring glory to Israel, not by conquering its enemies, but by making salvation available to even its enemies by becoming a sacrifice for them. That's the truth of the song of Simeon in verse 30 and 32. And then we see Anna, this prophetess who we don't know a whole lot about, but in verses 36 through 38, she becomes this incredible picture of what it means for God to want to rescue all people from sin and to be a savior for every nation. Luke doesn't quote Anna like he does Simeon because for Luke's purpose, Anna's life spoke louder than her words. Luke gives her this 
rare and unique honor of identifying her heritage. Did you see that? Did you notice that in the text that she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher? And that may not mean much to you as you just read the story from Luke chapter 2. But what Luke is trying to say is he's saying Anna is from the heritage. Her heritage represents one of the lost tribes of Israel from the Assyrian exile. And that matters because it's a foreshadowing that Jesus would accomplish what seemed impossible to people, to restore all of Israel, even what most thought was lost. Because God always fulfills his promise. And that's what a Savior does. He restores and he redeems. You see, God saw the sin of the past for the Israelites. He understood the pain that it had caused the people. And he didn't want to just sweep it under the rug. He didn't want to just leave it in the past. He wanted to save it. He wanted to rescue it. He wanted to redeem it. He wanted to forgive it and use it for his purpose. And so Anna's story of her message of hope, what Luke was trying to say, and even what probably Anna was saying as she stood in the temple and declared among this group of people who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem was probably something like, God has sent a Savior. The Savior has come. Jesus is here. And he's here to bring healing and purpose to the pain of our past. And through our story, I imagine Anna just talking to these people looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's through our story, it's through Jerusalem that God is going to bring salvation to all people. God's going to take our pain and he's going to turn it into a testimony. God's going to bring a Savior and here he is, Jesus, this baby, our Redeemer. Simeon and Anna had clung to God's promise that a Savior was coming with a hopeful endurance. And they received this infant Savior, Jesus, into their arms. But God has made a promise, like we've already talked about, to us, that Jesus will come again, not as an infant, not as a child, but as a glorious king who will return to redeem and restore all things to God. And this time when he comes, it won't be us receiving him into our arms. It'll be him in power and in glory, taking up those who endure with hope into his arms. Jesus is going to come to bring the embrace of consolation to his people again. And we await with an enduring hope and a longing expectation for that embrace of Jesus so that whatever we face, whatever seems to go wrong in the world, we remember that Jesus is our consoler. And everything that goes wrong in the world ought to cause us not to drift away from him. Because like the child who falls and scrapes his knees and hands, what do we do? We run to him. He is our consoler. And so everything that seems to go wrong in the world ought to drive us to him because we long for his return and we long for his comforting embrace. The truth is that God knows your sin too. That God knows the pain that your sin has brought. He doesn't want to just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't want you to just leave it in the past. He wants to 
save you from it. He wants to forgive you. He wants to rescue you from it. He wants to redeem your past and use it for his purpose. That's what a Savior does. So if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you can endure anything in this life with hope because the Savior is coming. Listen to what Luke writes at the end of his gospel, verse 26 through 28. He says, People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on this world. Even the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Has it felt a little bit like that to you this year? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things take place, oh, believer in Jesus Christ, when these things take place, stand up and lift up your heads, for your redemption is near. God is coming again, the Savior of the world, not to bear our sin, but to bring salvation. This is the promise that we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. It says, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So what do we do until then? As we hopefully endure, do we just sit back and wait? No. Because the Spirit of God is working. God's story continues. The Savior's coming. We long for him and his coming and his embrace. But all the while, the Spirit of God is working. You know the turn of one page in your Bible from the Old Testament, the end of the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, when you turn one page and then you begin to read the New Testament book of Matthew about the birth of Jesus, that represents 400 years of no new prophecy, of no new revelation from God. Does that mean that God wasn't working? Does that mean that God was truly silent, not speaking? Not at all. In fact, Luke tells us in verse 25 through 27 that God was actually on Simeon by his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was on him. The Spirit of God was guiding him, telling him what to do. He was leading Simeon, and that was extremely rare before the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And what was unique for Simeon, having the Holy Spirit, has now, church, become universal for all believers in Jesus Christ. We all have the Spirit of God in us if you believe in Jesus for salvation. What's explicit in Simeon's story about having the Holy Spirit is implied in Anna's story. And I don't want you to miss this. Because what we see in Anna's story is the Spirit of God who comforts and sustains her through heartbreaking loss. 
And Anna had been married for seven years, it says, probably as a young girl, the prime of her life. And then her husband passes away. Unimaginable. Pain that you cannot fathom unless you experience it. How does a person get through that except that God sustains them by his spirit? And in her loss, what did she do? Did she run away from God? No. She ran to God. And she gave her life to serve him day in and day out at the temple with prayer and fasting. Simeon and Anna are an incredible example to us for how to live day in and day out with an enduring hope as we await God to fulfill his promise to us through the return of Jesus. And as we wait, we have to navigate this world that's full of increasing darkness. We're increasingly distant from God in our culture. We're enduring heartache and tragedy and loss. And it may seem like God is forgotten. It may feel like God is silent. But all the while, the Spirit of God is working. And as you think about the new year, church, I want to, I don't know if you do New Year's resolutions, but I just want to challenge you to commit to God, to trust that His Spirit is working in this new year, to live a life of hopeful endurance, and to respond when the Spirit of God moves. Will you be available when the Spirit leads? Like Simeon, when he said to go to the temple and Simeon went, he was in the Spirit. The Spirit was guiding him. He was available. Will you be available in 2021 when the Spirit says go? When the Spirit is ready to move in you and through you, will you say yes? Because we keep hope alive when we allow the Spirit of God to lead us and to work through us. Hey, will you be active in worship in 2021, even when you don't know what's next from God? even when you don't know why what's happening to you is happening? Will you be like Anna, who commits every day, day in and day out, even through the darkest time of her life, to prayer and fasting and to be at the place of worship? Would you make that kind of commitment? Because the Spirit of God is at work. Would you be active in worship? My most played YouTube video of 2020, I don't know if you've looked at these stats at the end of your year, you know, your Spotify, what music you listen to, the videos you watch, but my most played YouTube video of 2020 was the song Waymaker. We sing it here, but let me remind you of the lyrics. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. You're a way maker, a miracle worker, a what? A promise keeper, a light in the darkness. We keep hope alive 
when we allow the Spirit of God to comfort us and sustain us, even when we don't know what's next. When we keep hope alive, when we look day in and day out for where the Spirit of God is working, and when we join Him in His work to bring the hope that we have to a world that desperately needs hope through the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you commit to, the, to God today to live with the working of the Holy Spirit in this next year? Because God's story is continuing. The Savior is returning. We long for him. We await him. But all the while, the Spirit of God is working, and we are a part of that work. The good news of Jesus is that he came to bear our sins, to take the punishment of sin on himself so that we, through faith, could experience forgiveness and eternal life, a hope that endures. I wonder if you know that kind of hope today. If you don't, you can receive it right now. In fact, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just kind of shut out distractions around you. And I want you to respond to God today for just a moment. Maybe you need to make a commitment to God for this next year to live out your faith, to stay committed, to have an enduring hope even through dark and hard times, to live in the Spirit. Make that to him right now. Even at home, if you're worshiping online, would you just pause your life and just take a moment to respond to God. But you may be hearing the good news of Jesus for the first time today in a way that makes sense to you. And you say, I need forgiveness of my sin. I want God to redeem my past and to give me a purpose for my future. If that's you, your response is just to tell God from your heart, God, I believe in Jesus, that he came to save me from my sin. I put my trust in him, and I want to live my life for him. The Apostle Paul would write in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Don't let today pass without making that commitment to God to say you put your faith and trust in him and to allow him to forgive your sin, to save you, to redeem you, to give you purpose. God, I am so grateful for Jesus who came to earth as a baby born to take on the sins of the world, who lived a perfect life and then gave himself up as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. We wouldn't be here without Jesus. God, help us to live with an enduring hope in the return of Jesus, to long for his embrace, to be faithful as we wait, to live our lives for you, never swayed, always focused on your work 
We need your help, God. And we're thankful that you're with us by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.